What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Write Who You Know. I'm Matt Hausfetter, and this is the screenwriting podcast where we talk about all things staffing, showrunning, friendship, story, plot, outlines, words, dialogue. Uh, that was actually a bit that uh, a couple buddies used to do. The point is we're going to get into it, all of it. Today we have a very special guest. My friend Laura Moran is here. She's staffed on shows like Harley Quinn, The Neighborhood, Undateable, The Dangerous Book for Boys. Right now she's writing on The Hoagie Bros for Sony TV and Fox Animation. We're going to get into all of that and the keys to a successful showrunner meeting, how to stay ahead of the, the rest of the rat race when it comes to staffing, and pretty much some tips for surviving the crazy career that is screenwriting. So... Light a joint, pour that glass of wine, pour yourself two fingers of scotch if that helps, and really relax. I want you to unwind. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and get ready for Laura Moran. Pass. Nope. We love Matt. It's just a really hard time right now. The industry's contracting. Come back to us and get some bigger attachments. Tell them right what you know. No, tell them right who you know. As Jeff Engold, the old head of NBC Comedy, told me, Matt Hausfetter is the best pitcher I've ever seen. This is before he had two Emmys. Um, If I hear that information, I keep it and I run with it. (laughs) So Matt Hausfetter is the producer of my dreams. I am. And also... Literally, I tell you my podcast idea after my agents at UTA were like, get a star attached and then we'll talk. I tell you, and within a day, it's out to like Omaha, <laughs> Brownstone, <laughs> fucking all these other people because you that's what you are so good at is making connections because, to call it back call, or start it off, you're studio guy. I am. And I'm Studio Girl. Most people don't know Studio Guy, by the way. I feel like that's a persona that they don't know. Um, it's really just like, if you were on Undateable, you know Studio Guy. But if you <laughs> weren't. And you know Guy that got duped by Leather Leatherman. <laughs> yeah. I got duped by Leatherman. Um, but, uh, yeah, when, you know, when we... I always tell people, like, dude, if you're relying on your agents that much to get you a job, you're doing it wrong. And so when we had to, like, fire our agents because of the Writers Guild, I was like, okay, like, this is going to change fucking zero for me. And no offense to my agents. It's just, like, I do everything always all the time because I have imposter syndrome. And I'm like, my agents look at me in a call sheet and, like, roll their eyes and laugh. That's just how I think oh, in my that's head. that's interesting that that's coming from imposter syndrome. Yeah, so I'm like, I'm just going to do it myself. And most of the stuff that I've built, I've done myself. And then everybody else gets to collect a check. And then I get an email that says, great job, buddy. Like, that's, that's how it goes. It's just what you are so naturally good at. But it's not even, it's easy. Like, how hard exactly. is it? Exactly. No, it's so hard for so many people, especially writers who have no ability to talk to other people whatsoever or sell themselves. And you do it in such an easy manner that it is like, it is, it is something that I would chase. It's effortless for you. It's effortless. Well, or at least it seems that way. No, listen, I, I appreciate that. And um, I do, 
I do find that it's effortless, but like I've been this way since high school. Right. Like it's it's not even about the producing. It's like, for example, if I wanted to go to a Blink One Eighty Two concert when I was fifteen years old and had zero money, I'd go to myself. Which of my friends could probably get Blink One Eighty Two tickets to to see Blink One Eighty Two? And I would go. Mm, Hillary went because her dad is George went from Cheers, and she likes me. And so if she likes me, she likes me enough to get Blink One Eighty Two tickets for me. Maybe her dad will take us to Blink-182. Boom. That's how I ended up at Blink-182. <laughs> you, found, you find the soft spaces, right? Uh, yeah. Also, seeing Catch Me If You Can change my life. Truly. Really? That was the movie that did it? Or just how it to play, game the system? Yes. The, ca- yeah. the kid stays in the picture actually changed my life because I was like, oh, that's how easy it is to option a book. You just need, like, money. Okay, I can do that. Um, you don't even need money anymore. You just need to be able to convince whatever author or comic person that, uh, you know, you basically need to say, is anyone else banging down your door? Because if you give me this for free for the next year, like, you may not be rich tonight or tomorrow, but, like, if I sell it and get a series order on Netflix and it's based on your thing, you might be. Mm-hmm. So, like, you going to let me take that shot? Like, what? what is it to you if I run around town driving myself crazy trying to set this yeah, up? Yeah, no one else is banging on your door. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But um, the kid says in the picture changed me because I realized, like, oh, you can just do this all yourself. And then working at Paramount Pictures – even though my boss uh, had his own uh, set of issues, he was very good at putting things back together. They had fallen apart. Uh, and uh, as well as just like going around people, not in like a bad stepping on toes or going outside chain of command way, but like shoot your shot, send an email. Like what's the worst thing that happened? Nobody writes back. They say no. And so, you know, for example, um, the Fairfax guys and I, we had this project that we, built uh for amazon under our first look deal and it had a huge a-list actor producer attached to it and they passed and he was exclusive to can we say who it is or no i can't because i mean okay. I, I can but like he's uh, a very big star yeah he's he's a very big star and it fell apart and because he's exclusive to amazon amazon was like you cannot have him so your project now has zero auspices which meant we lost a-list production company lost a-list talent and so the three of us were kind of like, well, uh, like, what do we do? And I was like, well, let's just build it back up. Like, mm-hmm. let's just get another producer. Let's get another star. Let's get another whoever. And I feel like that's just what you constantly have to do is just roll the ball up the fucking hill, at least when it comes to development, uh, especially now. Like, look, maybe if you are someone very special or very talented or, like, you're an incoming call person is what I like to say. If, like, incoming you are call business. Yeah, if you are someone that people, like, seek out it's different you know because people are looking for you like if you wrote you know do revenge which was like a huge movie on netflix people want to work with those women and i understand why they proved like we can write something great and we can direct something great and it's super funny and pop culture and like it caught america's attention for that one weekend that it was out and like that's all it needs to do but for example me i created something it wasn't as beloved as I hoped it would be. And so no one's fucking calling me. So I'm still, you know, uh, churning butter to use uh, a Catch Me If You Can reference. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, there's two different ways to start it. I mean, do we talk about how difficult it is to get started? Or once you are started and once you have hit it big, how, diffi- how difficult it is to keep working <laughs> Well, let's talk about let's talk about you, okay. um, because I could talk about myself all day, um, but I won't because it's fucking boring. Um, but disagree. what I disagree. That's so nice of you. 
Uh, but take me back to Connecticut, Laura. You're a young person. Uh, like, in did you always want to be a writer? Yes. When do you remember when you were like, I'm going to be a writer? Yes. When I was in third grade, I had to do a book report on Lincoln. And instead of two pages, I turned in a 12-page document um, that was handwritten in crayon. Wow. My mom still has it. Really? Uh, yep. And uh, then in seventh grade, I wrote... I didn't know you could be a movie writer. I thought you had to write about movies. So I loved uh, Siskel and uh, Ebert a lot. And in seventh grade, I wrote a competition paper about how I want to be their apprentice. And I got five stars or whatever the uh, Connecticut State test is. So that was in eighth grade. And then I kept writing. And then in uh, junior year of uh, creative writing class in English, our teacher who loved flirting with the hot lacrosse boys, loved it. We had to write a two-page thing in the style of Dickens. And I went home, and I wrote, and I loved it. It was the easiest thing I'd ever done. I loved every minute of it. And I came in the next day, and she asked, like, the hot lacrosse player to stand up and read his. And it was terrible. <laughs> Shocker. And I was like, oh, my God. I remember so clearly to this day, I said, oh, it's hard for Brad. It was easy for me. That's interesting. And I, she was like, who's next? And I was like, I am. I am. And I was like, ugly sophomore girl who wanted to follow up uh, Brad, the lacrosse player, and just fucking let it rip. That's funny. That's funny because I, the first, the first instance where I was like, I admit, I like, when you would be assigned group projects, someone had to be like the researcher. Someone had to be the recorder, which means you like typed everything. And I was like, I'll be the recorder. Yeah. And I just like love to type and I'm good at it. And so I think that was the first time where I was like, oh, like what you're saying is like, oh, this is hard for Brad. This was hard for Andrew Leff and John Seton. And I was like, this is a fucking breeze. This was a joyful assignment for me to do last night. And I loved it. And I knew what I produced was good. And I thought that it would be, I didn't realize that it was different for me. Mm. And then um, my parents, who had always been immensely, immensely supportive of this insane career idea, <laughs> uh, found me a playwriting workshop at UVA that summer. So I'm a junior in high school. I fly down to Charlottesville by myself. It's the summer that the new Dave album's out. What Dave album? Whatever the big fucking one was. What do you mean? What year is it? I, I'll tell I you. was not a Dave. For, it was 1998. Or 1997. Before these crowded streets. Okay. So, yes. and every- Crushes on that. Do you just wait? You're not a Dave person. I'm not a Dave person. So I, I wasn't cool enough in my high school to be a Dave person. It's interesting because most people don't associate cool with Dave Matthews. Oh, in Connecticut, it's not even Dave Matthews. In Connecticut, it's it's Dave. Oh, yeah. It's you Dave. Go, you going to Dave? Yeah. You Dave, is to Dave, one, Dave is one. Yeah. Dave is you Madonna. To Dave? It's Madonna, yeah. Prince, and Dave. Yeah. You going to Dave? And I was never going to Dave. And um, But anyway, so I went down to Charlottesville, which is where Dave Matthews Band or DMD is from. And I had two fucking magical weeks at a UVA writing, nerd writing camp. Mm-hmm. And at the end of that camp, Patrick Cribben, my teacher, said, you can do this as a profession. And I said, okay. <laughs> How old are you? 16. Got it. I was about to make an inappropriate <laughs> joke. <laughs> no, he like, wasn't trying to fuck me. <laughs> no, no, no. I thought you were going to be like, cute. and I slid off my chair. Oh, no. He was very cute. But I, uh, no, it was not inappropriate whatsoever. But he pulled me aside and told this depressed little 16-year-old, you're good enough to do this for a living. 
and I went full speed ahead. Because that's the other thing I noticed with friends of mine. Um, they No one told them that they were good at this. And you need to have people telling you you are good at this because this is such an insane job and such an insane weird skill that w why would you pursue it? But if you have a couple people that mean a lot to you who say, you know what, you should go for it, it's kind of all you need. So I was lucky. I had that in Patrick Cribben. I had that in my parents. Um, and and then we, we, I remember, we didn't know anything about film school at all. So my mom and I just went on every tour of every school that had a good English program and a good film program. So we literally went to 20 colleges because I'm Tracy Flick. Like, literally, people would call me Tracy Flick. Did you go to Syracuse? Fuck no. But you didn't, <laughs> you didn't tour it? I have way better grades than Syracuse. Okay, but they have an amazing communications film program. That's not even a fucking safety school. Number one. In the, okay, okay. Apparent, but apparently, though, real talk, they have the number one communication school in the country, or at least they did when me and you were in college. Okay, I'm not checking for communications. Fine. Okay, fine. But film and television falls under that. Boston okay. University is too. USC is also up there. Obviously, everyone likes Excuse USC. Me? Yeah, USC we all. USC had a filmic writing major for four years that you get in as a as a senior in high school. Dude, all I know is the only of the 22 people that got in that didn't accept was Topher Grace. He, Wait, Topher did not get in. He's, no, he did get in, but he decided to do that 70s show instead. Good for him. He made the right choice. He made the right choice, I yeah. think. Because like half of us dropped out because they were like, what the fuck? <laughs> I wonder if he uh, is sitting there being like, fuck. Now, I mean, because Topher Grace, let's be honest, like, He's had a fall from grace and um, no, sh no shade to him, but like, dog, come on. Um, but he did those Star Wars recuts. What are, oh God. That was like a big thing he did. Didn't Donald Faison do those too or something? I know that was a big thing he did. Um, I've been in a punch up with him since because he's also from Connecticut. Um, Wait, there's just like a room for Connecticut no, people? No, that's a side note, but I did, he, we bought... Bond, bond is a loose word, but we discussed how we were both from Connecticut. He was from a town that was a little richer than mine. And uh, same with Kate Bosworth. And then um, I mentioned the USC thing, and he was like, yeah. Okay, so wait, take me back. So you're, so Connecticut, Vanderbilt, no, no UVA. <laughs> you're at UVA wearing white gloves in the football stands. No, I did not go to UVA as a school. I went I know, there for I know, two I weeks know. for nerd joking. camp. I'm I went joking. to my, the writing version of space camp. And uh, so we looked at all these schools that had good uh, writing programs and good uh, film programs. And then my mom had the big, giant blue college book out. And she said, oh, my gosh, this school here has film writing as their number one major. And it was USC. I'm from Connecticut. USC was not on the fucking radar. But why not? It's like one of the best schools in Wasn't, the country. Not then. Oh, my God. Not even no. the film school? Uh, yeah, but like you don't in Connecticut, you don't really know that sort of stuff. I mean, this is like barely. But it's not Riyadh. It's not. Yeah, I know, like but it. in Connecticut, it seems like it. <laughs> and uh, and so uh, we got the application. It was like two applications. I had to submit like four pieces of writing. Like it was out of control. Did you How submit the uh, Lincoln Crayon opus? No, I didn't. Um, no, we had to write a uh, a piece about what our favorite piece of art was. What did you say your favorite piece of art was? It was the painting that is all white. That blank canvas, or it's not a blank canvas, it's painted white, I believe. And I, I had a thesis as to why that was art. Because it inspires conversation. That, and it was, he was, the painter was seeing something that none of us could see. Oh. Something like that. And then you had, I was also a columnist for the town newspaper. 
Uh, Every year, a senior in high school was a a columnist, and so I was. So I think I might have submitted a few. Dude, you are Tracy fucking my hot take columns. (laughs) Okay, so and then. Uh, so you applied to all these schools. I applied to no, I applied to six schools anyways. I got into USC. Was that did you do like early decision or whatever? No, you couldn't for that uh program. Got and it. so but I it, there was no other there was no other option. If I got in, that was where I was going. And also I was a fucking narc then. I didn't even drink. I didn't I'd smoked one cigarette and my dad busted me. Like I was I so I went to like all the I went to visit Brown. And they were just like drinking, and, I, and it was snowing, and they were watching. The girls were watching boys play video games, and I was like, "This is yeah, Brown fucking sucks." Boring as shit. I went to a couple Brown <laughs> parties, and I was like, "This fucking sucks." And like, I went to the film class, and people were asleep. It like it was so bad. And then I went to visit USC, and I didn't drink, and and they were like, "Oh no, that's cool, that's fine." And then I went to a three-hour film class by John Furia, who was the head of the program, and I was like, "There's no other place I want to go." And um, and that's I handed in my acceptance that day. I literally called my parents on the landline and were like, "I'm going to USC," and they're like, "Great." That's so fucking fun. Yeah, they nice. were. What they a triumphant were, moment for you. Yeah, then my parents are 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 pretty incredible. Should we shout them out? What are your parents' names? Uh, Pat and Paul Moran. Pat and Paul, Pat Moran. And Paul Moran. Did they ever come to Undateable for your tape night Absolutely. episode? Absolutely. They've been to almost every episode I've shot. Um, Did they come they, to the neighborhood? Absolutely. Oh, my God, yes. Great. Um, my dad tried to tell jokes in the neighborhood room. That was horrible. In the neighborhood yeah, room. Yeah, he's, you know, he's a very funny person. Um, and, and, no, they're, 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 my, the feature that I'm going to, <laughs> I'm going to sound deranged right now. The feature that I write about them will win me an Oscar nomination. Like the Fablemans? No. This is your Fablemans? You thought the Fablemans was a piece I of I couldn't sh- get through it. Why? I didn't finish it. I don't want to be like Ted uh, who bashed on Open without reading it. Oh, that's okay. But um, Ted, you should read Open. Um, no, I couldn't personally get through it. I, it's, so I was like, this is pretend. I wonder if it's because you're not Jewish. It might be. And I don't say that as a dig. I say no, that no, because- No, no, no. I did not. I was, when I turned it on, I was like, this is not how people behave. Yeah. I mean, look, my mother was not as, like, free-spirited and, like, as, like, he portrayed his mother, like, you know, Michelle Williams, like, dancing and being a fucking, uh, I don't know, I want to say hippie, but, like, it wasn't a hippie. Um, But, yeah, I I think I just really liked it because that kind of chaotic Jewish family, I was like, I know that. It just looks a lot different. Yeah, I see that. Like, everyone responds to different things. It's really interesting. So, my best friend and I, she's a brilliant writer. She was... On, at Imag- uh, at Amblin for 10 years. She's a Paramount reader. She's a great feature writer in herself. She's trying to build her own career. She loves Marvel. She loves it more than anything. <laughs> Even Ant-Man and Quantumania? Uh, <laughs> I think she'll, she, she's okay with it. 68% drop-off in Weekend 2. <laughs> Just want everyone out there to know. And we went to, she took me to Disneyland last year, and uh, she, we went to uh, fucking... Star Wars Land? No, we went to Star Wars Land, but we went to Marvel Land, or the Marvel Academy. I don't know what that yeah, is. Yeah, they have a whole land that's just Marvel. Like, it's the campus, the Marvel oh, campus. Okay. And we saw Loki, Ooh. and she started to cry. What? And I'm not even exact. There were multiple other women who were weeping near Loki. Dude, those, you know, there's like a whole, there's a group, not even a group, there are multiple gangs at Disney that, like, dress up. And not, not like gang bangers. There are multiple groups of adults that go to disney that have like sons of anarchy jackets but with like pun disney names well do you know about disney bouncing no no is it fucking bouncing bounding you don't know about bounding no is it sexual 
<laughs> Believe me, it's the opposite of sexual. <laughs> it is. So in Disney, you're not allowed to have a costume unless you're a cast member. Right. Or during the Halloween months. I thought you were going to say during the Holocaust. Go no, on. no, definitely not that. <laughs> uh, during the Halloween months, kids can, you can have a costume, but you can't have a mask on. Again, I have too many friends who are too into Disney. That's why I know these things. Anyway, so if you are a, at any time, if you're an adult, you cannot be in costume at Disneyland or Disney World. So the way that super Disney adults have gone past this is they do something called bounding where they wear outfits that evoke a Disney character but are not so like they'll have the same colorways they'll it's a have, color story yeah, actually it's a color story it's, uh, but yeah that's a thing is Disney bounding I bound every day honestly who are you bounding as truly this is so embarrassing but like in my head I am like trying to channel what it must have been like because I was just I was like in seventh grade during like raver culture and I desperately like was into raver culture and like had the jinko jeans and like Plur. Yeah, peace, love, unity, respect. Oh, yeah. It's not about the it's not about the drugs, dad. It's the music. That's what I told my dad when he like was like, What's the fucking ecstasy music? I was like, Plur, dad. Um, but I am bounding like a vision I have in my head of like a mix of high and low, like Chemical Brothers t shirt <laughs> with like baggy jeans, and I have all this. Like the green supreme cardigan that I wear, that's mohair. You know, you saw me wearing that that necklace that my daughter made me when I came in. Mm-hmm. It's like a raver necklace. Like yeah. that's why. Like oh, I, God. I usually wear one that's like this bracelet that says "Daddy." Um, not in the <laughs> gross daddy. way. Not, not in the gross <laughs> way. But like I am, I am in my head. I am way cooler than I am in reality mm-hmm. because I'm trying to be my version of what I am projecting that I I want to be. Okay. So Which sounds a lot like Disney not bounding. A dad. No, <laughs> no, I am bounding as a young, like eighteen-year-old in nineteen ninety-nine, which is the peak of culture, if you ask me. Which I think is exactly when I was eighteen. Yeah, Go came out. Oh my, oh my God! So I was defend. I wasn't defending Go to someone. I said Go was brilliant, and someone just ragged on me the other day. They're like six years older than me, and they were like, "What the fuck are you talking?" I was like, "I, I don't know." When he dra- when he <laughs> when it turned out that the pills weren't. Ecstasy, they were aspirin. I was like, that's one of the best things I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one of the gentlemen that uh, I'm working with on a hot piece of development. Uh, oh, by the way, Matt just glanced at his slate. Yeah, I did. Just I have... to build out the world for you guys, Matt has his slate on the uh, left of his office, um, topped with hooch, and the bottom is my podcast. Um, but yes, he just did glance at his slate. Yeah. And the guy, anyway, one of the gentlemen that I'm working with was like, go, like, is kind of a piece of shit. And I was like, you're a piece of shit. And it's so funny, I tweeted at John August, who wrote Go oh, on I'm Twitter. I'm very aware. And I was like, dude, Go, life-changing movie. Like, oh my God, you clearly set up a sequel for the end, did you not? And he was like, yes, I did, but we were debating whether it should be New Year's or actual Christmas. Like, that's what it was going to be. And I deleted, I obliterated my Twitter from the planet. Otherwise, I would go back and cross-reference this because uh, it's fucking insane that you can just, like, tweet at people. Yeah, I know. It's so funny. Everyone's like, oh, John August because of the Script Notes podcast. And it's like, yo, no, John August wrote Go. Yeah, dude. <laughs> and I started this podcast because, like, look, I like Script Notes, but it's, like, so clinical. And, like, who the fuck is ever going to end up John August or Craig Mazin? Your chances are... Zilch, especially in today's market. The market's con- <laughs> the, the market's contracting, as people would tell me. Um, the playing field is hostile. Yeah. That's what I've also heard. The buying marketplace is hostile, is what I heard last year when I went out with somebody. Oh God! Wait. So wait. You go to. So wait. Let me just let me let me circle back. You're at USC now. I'm at USC. And uh, 
you're living in Los Angeles. Living in Los Angeles, off camp, one block off campus. Okay, and you do you know off the bat you want to be a screenwriter, or is there any part of you that's like I could write novels? No, I knew I wanted to write movies. I didn't quite have TV figured out yet in USC. I love TV. I grew up loving TV. Oh my god! What I are love some TV. of your favorite shows? Uh, the TV show that made me want to write TV and realize the power of TV is ER. Great um, theme song. It's because, and I can tell you the exact moment when I realized I wanted to watch TV, was because you enter in day one with John Carter, who's a goody two-shoes. Uh, Matt's trying to be very quiet and not make us listen to his water bottle opening. Um uh, John Carter enters in day one, so you've got your classic day one character entering this new world. The audience is with him, and then the end of and Doctor Benton, Eric LaSalle, set up as this like kind of asshole resident who's like an asshole to everyone, especially John Carter. Anyway, seven seasons later, John Carter has fallen from grace. He's gotten addicted to drugs, and the person he goes to rehab. They have an intervention. He has to go to rehab, and the person that takes him, they pull back. You see John Carter looking out the window. And you pull back, and the person next to him who's taking it, I'm going to cry, is Eric LaSalle. And um, the fact, I realized in that moment that in your favorite movie, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Indiana Jones, Last Crusade, these are some of my favorite movies, you have two hours with a character. In television, you have one hour a week. You have 22 hours in a season. Times seven, 150 hours with a character. I can't do math that well. That's why I'm a writer. You have 150 hours with a person. And you get to do stories that you could never do in a movie. You get to show growth that you could never do in the time constraints of a movie. So to me, that's why television's special. But um, yes, I wanted to write. But at USC at the time, they didn't know that TV was about to change. They didn't know Sopranos wasn't even out yet. Yeah, TV was like thought of as like the B team. Yeah, exactly. Yes, TV was not. Like USC, it was all about features and how we weren't going to make a living to War 40. How well did they call that? Um, but like that, like TV was very much looked down upon and it was all about features, all about features. And, um, and so I wanted to write features and then it wasn't until I got my first job out of college that I, I started to meet TV writers. I worked, I got a little bit of a, uh, I was a third assistant slash receptionist for a little person named Mick G. Heard of him. Uh, and coming off of Charlie's Angels 2, full throttle. So we were really at the height of our powers. And Laura got very drunk at that premiere. Um, last time I drank tequila. That's <laughs> uh, my favorite beverage. Have you oh, really not drank tequila since? Since 2003. Even though you love cocktails. I love cocktails more than anything. Um, I drank 14 kamikaze shots that night. That was my first, uh, uh, someone I know told me, everyone in L.A. has their first open bar story and their first tequila story. Mine was the same night. Got it. Um, that was also the first night I realized that people in L.A. don't eat food. At parties, certainly not in public. Well, not at premieres. I mean, there's like the limp salad, the a little f- bit of penne. I mean, some shitty chicken. This is the same night that Demi Moore shows up on a red carpet with Ashton Kutcher and Bruce Willis. Mm. Like, this is cultural. Peak culture. Fi- yes, peak culture. Everyone's wearing white. It's crazy. There are French fries and burgers all over the parking lot that has been made the uh, Charles Angels tube. <laughs> premiere after party and no one touches them that's crazy no one touches any of the food anyways laura 22 year old lord goes to have 14 kamikaze shots when they say we have run out of mixers i say mix it with more alcohol and um so yeah i was pretty drunk for about two days after that and have not had to kill since 
Got it. Let me take you back to ER. Is that okay? Of course, I'd love to talk. How about do you it. feel about ER being rebooted? So it's so funny. My manager. It's staffing. Oh, I'm very aware because my manager, I'm a half hour writer, but my manager was just like, oh my gosh, and it's crazy. I put you up for ER and I started to cry. I literally out of nowhere started to cry. I was like, I didn't even know that was an option. If I could ever write on that show, it would be a dream come true. So, I mean, who knows? We'll see. Like, I don't love everything getting rebooted because it just means less jobs. It means less new ideas. But, um, but you know, yes, I got put up for it, but I have another job already. So, but uh, it, whatever. No, no one's buying new things. I wish people were buying new things. That's all. I know. But yeah. Um, uh, but uh, other shows I loved, uh, Dick Van Dyke show. Loved, loved, loved Dick Van Dyke. Loved Mary Tyler Moore show. Loved. I was getting four. I was getting four camera multicam programmed into me, even though I didn't even know it. Uh, loved Friends, and I wa- rewatched Friends maybe 10 years ago, and I was laughing 20 years later at a punchline. That's magic. Do you still like multicams? Love multicams. My dream is to create a multicam. Do you think, I mean, the uh, Night Court, even though it's a reboot, is back. Everybody loves Abbott Elementary. Abbott's a single cam. I know. I'm just talking about about, hot network comedies. We're just talking about comedies, sure. But, um... What I want to what I want to segue into is like people have this. They think like multicams are like corny or like not as good as the other shows. And I truly believe, and I think you know, it sort of was indoctrinated into me when we both worked uh, on Undateable. But like, you can make them good and of quality. Yeah, the multi. Everyone, every meeting I'm in now, they're like, "We love your stuff because it's hard funny. It's hard funny. It's hard funny." Meaning, there's punchlines and jokes, right? multicams need to be hard funny because they're in front of an audience. If you have a weak joke, the audience won't laugh. I find single cam can get away with weak shit because there's no audience. So it's like there's a lot of like comedy. Like there's a lot of like trail off comedy. A lot of like cut like that wasn't funny comedy. Like that's lines people say in in, in half hour now and it's crazy. Um, but no, in multicam, you can't hide. And and the people forget that everyone says they want a multicam and then freak out at the last second. Everyone. So here's my question to you. So I had a meeting with a particular television studio, one of the big four, that has a studio. They have an. I'm not gonna like tell you which one, but like there's only four. So it doesn't. There's only CBS, ABC. I mean, NBC has Universal. Right. It wasn't them. And it's. Doesn't matter. Okay. So what, no, no, my, yeah, one of the, the my, other one that my I'm point is, I soft pitched them this like multicam idea, and they really liked it. Um, well, this was this week or recently? Like two, three weeks ago. Okay. And my manager called them and was like, "Why don't you just buy his idea?" And they're like, "Well, if he finishes the pitch and like brings it back and like pitches us, like we will." But like, it's just going to be an if come deal, which for those of you listening out in podcast land, means that you only get the money if a licensor slash network agrees to put it on television meaning like for example warner brothers pays for friends nbc puts it on television so in this case studio x wants me to write this or pitch them this multicam but i started to write it and or like started to finish the pitch and i'm sitting here going is anyone gonna give a shit is anyone gonna buy this like it is a multicam and i think it's a funny premise but like for every night court or every Abbott Elementary, even though that's a single cam, it just feels like the state of network. Like CBS fucking bought like zero two comedy pilots. Last year. year they bought. Last year they picked up zero 
comedy pilots. That's when I looked into the, because I'd worked for CBS for four or five seasons. I looked into the abyss and I was like, oh shit. Yeah, We've yeah. got to figure out something else out here or some sort of pivot if the comedy network is no longer picking up comedies. That's my point. So I'm like, yeah. they were like, where do you imagine it being? Like, think of the <laughs> comps. I was like, I don't care. Like, it can be fucking on Hulu. It can be on uh, NBC. I don't give a shit. Like, I, I just want to. Matt, I- Matt, you just have to be make it undeniable. <laughs> Those are the new words, by the way, is- got to be undeniable we just got to make it undeniable. well listen like when you work at barney's and sell a show about working at barney's that's undeniable yeah. and that's my problem right now is because this premise you've seen a thousand times the difference about it is something that's very specific to what's going on in my family mm-hmm. and so that's what makes it funny to me uh or interesting to me um let's get some attachments i heard uh topher topher grace he's avail. available tech avail um but i'm having these moments where i'm like like, should I be spending my time on this? Yes. That's the thing is, like, you literally can't. And I had to actually go to career therapy to figure this out. I had a whole dr- – after I was success- – I got staffed and I was on three – I was did a lot of episodes of TV in a very short amount of time because I was able to move between two, sa- two staffs. And then I didn't get staffed after – I got stuck at ESC, Executive Story Editor. I didn't get staffed the next year. By the way, what show were you st- were what show just for context was this when you were working on the neighborhood? Oh no, way before, way before the neighborhood. So I my first, so I it took me ten years to be staffed out of graduating college. So it was an overnight success. Took ten years, and <laughs> um, I uh, I uh, was I realized that the best way for me to do this was to be an assistant, a writer's assistant. I was like, that's the way in for me. I know I'll be a good writer's assistant. Took me three years to get a writer assistant job after that. Again, I only spent one of the because I got a day job, which I highly, highly do not recommend. Uh, I did that thing where you say, "Oh, I'll get a really dumb job and then I'll write at night." No, that it doesn't work. Um, and so I finally got fired from that job because I stopped doing it. I hated it so much. And then I, I looked at myself in the mirror basically and said, "Okay, this is the time. If you don't do it right now." then why are you here? I didn't even particularly like LA at the time. I was like, if you don't start and really give it your all right now and try to get a writer's assistant job, then what are you doing? So I spent literally a year meeting any person that would meet me, having any coffee with anyone. I did it. And I got over myself. A lot of people are like, well, I don't want to email that person. Because, well, because what? They they're going to email you back and yell at you? No, they're just not going to email you back. That's the worst that could happen is that someone doesn't return your email. No one's going to fucking return your email. But the best thing that could happen is, sure, yeah, I'll have coffee with you. And then you come in prepared and you just start meeting people. And so I did that for literally a year. And then through that, I was able to get my first uh, executive assistant job on the Glades, a drama wouldn't uh wouldn't a and e baby okay a and e i was the showrunner's assistant and i got there i knew i wanted to write half hour but it was an hour i just needed to get on a tv show and that's my other advice is get on a tv yeah, that's show why I, that's why i worked on revenge people are like you're leaving paramount to go to revenge i'm like you don't get it revenge is going to be a cultural juggernaut, juggernaut. yeah <laughs> and b uh i'm in the show now yeah get on a tv show it doesn't matter what fucking tv show get on the tv show but i got on that tv show day 1 it was the fourth season. The writer's assistant had been the writer's assistant for four seasons. Oh, boy. And they, everyone loved her. And uh, she had been the writer's assistant for four seasons and was just getting a script. And I was like, I got to get the hell out of here. 
Yeah. <laughs> and she has gone on to be extremely successful. But um, I was just like, oh, my God, I can't be behind three people. This is insane. So um, I then was able, basically, a, a half hour was late staffing assistance. It was a last-minute pickup on CBS. And I uh, heard about the job. The other thing people don't do is they don't, um, what's the word, network within their same. Everyone's like, oh, I want to network with someone. Yes. I want to network with someone 10 steps above me. No, network with people your level, one level up or one level below. And my first job ever I got because I was networking with someone one level below. And so anyway, I was networking with other writer's assistants like crazy. And one girl said, I can't take this job. I have another job. Can I put you up for it? And I said, absolutely. And that was the writer's assistant to be on (laughs) disaster of a show. But I learned so much how to be a gentleman on CBS. It was CBS for CBS in 2011. That's when they were buying like 30 pitches a year. Yeah, it was it was. That was, I remember being on the phone call that was our, it was our premiere date and it was, what do we have to get so that we, for a, like, what do we have to get so we can stay on the air as ratings? And the the lowest bar we could have was a 3-3. You know what's crazy? Elementary's like a point two. Dude, what's what's nuts is that at the end of Undateable, we were pulling like point eights and point. We had se- ones for a while. No, 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 no. No, maybe I'm com- mixing that up. No, no, no. The end at the end when Undateable, I I tracked the rating season one because I was like, if they get season two, I'll be able to you know yeah. get on it because of my my uh, relationship with one of its cast members. But season two, uh, we got like a point nine. And it kept like going down at its lowest. It was a point six, and then in season three, again, it always huddled between like point five and. And this is a Friday though, so Friday the with no lead in. Yeah, so Friday at eight eight, it's going to be a lower threshold than we were on Tuesdays at eight thirty, I believe. But anyway, it just shows you what is what changed in literally four years. Yeah, that's my point. Now is that yeah, people would wild. kill for the undateable numbers. Oh, if you got a one on a Friday. You'd you'd be you'd have six seasons. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and that's what's that's what's crazy is like, up until um, Night Court on NBC, we were the highest rated comedy. In, in really. S- in seven or eight years, and that's what and that's what's so funny. Like when they're saying Night Court is the number one rated comedy on NBC and blah 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 blah, blah or or Lopez. I can't uh, is Lopez on NBC? No, Lopez is ABC. Actually. Okay. They uh, the la the la I don't know, but okay. The point is the last biggest comedy. And by big, I mean like 0.6, 0.7, 0.8 right. was undateable. And it's insane to me that they canceled that show. Why? For what it costs? Like, why? Yeah. When I knew, like. It costs like one something an episode. Of, I thought it cost under one. I when we went Bill, live, it was one three. Yeah. But I feel like Bill was doing it. Shout out. Bill Lawrence. Um, best producer I've ever seen. By the way, Bill, if you want to be on this podcast, I know <laughs> you do because you love talking about yourself. Call me. You won't because you're too busy making drinking. But <laughs> when you uh, go on hiatus, there's but a spot for you here. The best producer I've ever seen. I remember Bill saying once that we were making it for under a million dollars. And I was no, like, oh, my God, you're brilliant. That's why NBC keeps a show on the air. Because it's a network sitcom prime time for under a million dollars. So, so, so what do you think is going to happen now? Because we're in this weird place where... Network comedy, I, don't, I I hesitate to say like we're back because it, it 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 there are a few shows that are working, but now where Netflix is 
putting commercials on and it's going to be like the streaming services are turning back into the cable services. Yeah. Hulu already has commercials. Netflix is going to have commercials. We don't know what HBO Max, Discovery Plus, whatever the hell that's going to yeah. be. What What is going to happen to traditional network television? Like, I don't think drama is going anywhere because it's just that's all that people are watching nowadays, whether it's This Is Us or the Chicago series or um, uh, SEAL Team. Yeah, whatever all it is. FBI, SWAT. Yeah. The CSI Law and Order, those are never going away. But comedy, I'm like, so what's going to happen now? Because these streamers that were supposed to be like the new thing, they're all like relegating back to the model of commercial television. I don't know. I wish. And if I you don't have the answer, that's I don't okay. have the answer. I look to my my no, literally my reps. I like I was like, what's going on, guys? And they were like, we don't know. These are the partners at UTA saying we don't know, and it's not that they don't know; it's that the studios don't know. They said literally they don't know yet. So we're all just kind of waiting for them to figure it out. I mean, they don't know whether to feed network. Like uh, CBS doesn't know whether to feed their network or their streamer. Certain, they think people, certain people watch certain things on streamers. Certain people watch certain things on network. Then everyone's looking for their huge animation project. That's the other thing that's fucking nuts to me as someone who lives and dies by live action multicam it's just everything's animation right now in, in the half hour space it seems like to me because it's cheap the fact that crapopolis which do you know about this this is dan Harmon show coming to fox oh, it got okay. a season three renewal has not aired one episode he's brilliant totally but like <laughs> don't you think you should like hedge maybe like i understand ordering a season two you're gonna now order a season three and i and, I, and what i do know is that they're probably in the middle of production and, and it costs more to stop down and then start back up again so Michael Thorne, the head of Fox, is probably like, if we just keep going, this will be cheaper to amortize all these episodes if we just do 40 of them at once. Well, also, as someone who's currently on staff on a Fox animation show, they think that it drives um, streaming. Really? Animation, yeah. They think that everyone's looking for their Rick and Morty, and they think that people sign up for streaming because of animation shows. Well, wait till you see what's coming to Warner Brothers Discovery this year, because uh, it's going to be good. Is that you? Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, you know what it is, but I, I it's the, it's the, uh, it's the number three thing at the top of my. Oh fuck yes! I can't. We can't talk about it, but you can see it on yes. my slate. No, no, no. I'm very aware of that. That, that's a great. Yes. Um. But yes, I apparently the thing that's other than they can do it for fucking cheap as fuck. I know. Uh. Yeah. Like the show I'm currently working on is literally why the writers should strike. Uh. Are we allowed to talk about the show you're on? Not, and I don't mean like talk about it. Just like, are we allowed to, to name the show that yeah, you're on? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't see why not. Please. Uh, I'm writing on a show for Fox um, called Hoagie's Brothers is the working title. And it's created by um, two extremely talented people, uh, Craig and Adam Malamut, who did Bleach Report for a long time. And they did Game of Thro- Zones, Game of Zones, um, and run by Dan Lagana, our show. And it's very, uh, it's very good. Didn't it's Dan good. Lagana do? Uh, American Vandal, my yes. favorite show ever. Yes, yes. He sure did. Interesting. Yeah, he ran American Vandal. And... Um, and dude knows how to run a, a show. And the thing about our show is um, we are good at it uh, in spite of everything, in my opinion. Um, it is a network show, Fox, primetime, 13 episodes. They were given a budget to hire three writers. It's fucking insane. It's IATSE. Yes. Right? It's 13 episodes. And by the way, for all of you out there, IATSE is the guild that 
that um, oversees animation. It was originally started for animators, not for writers. And most animated shows, save for a few of them that are very talent-driven, like Everybody Hates Chris, they are non-WGA, which means you don't get the same health care, you don't get the same script fees, you don't get the same pension contributions. Same weekly rate. It's same. fucking bullshit. No, it's great. But that's why everyone's making animation is because it's not even half the cost. It's less than half the cost. And the fact that Fox can go, hey, here's a, you've got 13 episodes. You've got, how many weeks was is my contract? 20. 10. You have a 10-week contract? 10-week contract. With an option to renew for you for another few? A uh, 10-week contract, but everyone said, oh, no, but it will go to 15. Don't worry. Okay. So, but all three writers that they were allowed to hire are on 10 weeks to do 13 episodes. That's and that's insane. how we make TV. Like, and our show is going to be really good. Like, honestly, it's really, really good. But, like, that is in spite of everything. So how can people expect to have, like, television's garbage right now. It's just not good. It's actively not good. And that's part of the reason why you can't make 13 good episodes in, in that many weeks. It's that's crazy. a great point. That's you, a great point. You can't. You, we are, it, it, our show will be good in spite of every single thing against it. Sounds Time, like, money, ability, like, it's just, it's crazy. How could you expect a show to be good? Now add COVID to that, and you have Fairfax. <laughs> yeah, because you, you had a very small staff on Fairfax, right? We had, the uh, season one room was, like, four writers, and then we had, like, five or six, plus Teddy Aaron and I and Peter Knight in uh, season two. Um, but you... you the thing that I want, that I think you are getting to, that I wanted to talk to you, that I was so excited to talk to you about, is television staffing. <laughs> sure. Because uh, other than myself and a few other people that I know, uh, I have this, not like a theory about it, but uh, you really need to be a fucking lunatic in order to get staffed on a TV show. This was six years ago, seven years ago, mind you. Like TV staffing now is like a fucking broken system that I don't have the time or the bandwidth to get into all of it. But Back in the day, like the last time I got a staffing interview, mm-hmm. um, that I wasn't running the staffing yes, interview, <laughs> um, was like back in 2017, 2016. And the reason I think it's so important to talk about this is because it really shows you the insane lengths that writers have to go to get staffed. And other than myself, um, you were very proactive about hustling and that's truly the only way that you are going to get staffed and so what i think i wanted you to talk about some of your experiences is is for example you know you will find out on the least in my head the way that it was working was either your agents will find out that a show is going to be picked up or is about to be picked up and so the showrunner of that show will have some will will say i'm going to start reading people they probably get submitted 70 to 100 scripts so just for uh, college, Sex Life of College Girls, yes. right? That just, okay, season two just it. happened. Yeah, I tried to get on that show. Three open slots. Three? How many scripts got submitted? I don't know. A thousand. <gasps> well, that's why I didn't get a call back. Yep. That's also why staffing's broken. I mean, part of the reason. Like, people aren't trying to fit people in anymore. They're just, there's so many available writers. Like, you can't get a... Oh, my friends did Frasier, the new Frasier reboot. 300 scripts got submitted for, like, five spots. So how do you break through? You you have to have someone call or email the showrunner and say, read this person's script. 
pull this person's script out of the pile and read it. Don't hide. I'm not, I mean, some people might go as far as hire the person, but when I recommend, cause I, I, I helped someone get the writer assistant job on, uh, sex lives of college girls. He got, a, he got like thousands of resumes for that. And I emailed them blank email, like a not blank blind email. And I said, I'm sure your email is, your inbox is full. Find this resume and pull it aside. For a writing job. For a writing assistant job. Writing assistant job. But that, like, so basically what I'm saying is you just need someone to tell the showrunner, look out for this person. Pull this person's script from the stack. Because the stack used to be 30. The stack is now literally 300 to 1,000. And I think the other problem part of that is that like agents will be like, yeah, we submitted you. And I'm like, I saw this. No, number one, they didn't. What what they do is they'll send a paragraph, an email with like a, 10 paragraphs. And each paragraph is about a different person. And like it, a bio? Yeah, like yeah. Matt Housefeder created? Yeah, you'll get, you'll get 10 scripts and then 10 bios. And then a lot of times you'll get that person, person's ethnicity. But Of course. Right. But it used to be, at least in my head, that like, oh, no, like you're submitting one client that you think is really good for that job. I never thought it was one. Not one. But, but like, I thought it was a couple. Yeah. yeah that I, they would I, you know, try I, to fit you in. But, I, you know, via CAA, via ICM, via UTA, I saw it. Just blat, just agents just like vomiting emails. A thousand with, scripts with names. for three spots. Well, it's insane. Well, how many submissions, uh, when you were running uh, Fairfax, how many submissions did you have? Like a hundred and something. For how many spots? Four or five. Okay. But it was well, also like IATSE. And so, and this, by the way, this was four or five years ago when there wasn't the contracting market and there wasn't like a pending writer strike and there wasn't like all this, <laughs> you know, and all these fucking uh, streaming services weren't beholden to their shareholders in terms of how many subscribers they gained or lost each fiscal quarter. Right. They were at the time, but it didn't matter because it was, it just seemed like endless Boundless money. Growth, yeah. yeah. That was never going away. Um, and so what I think that you, to, back to what I was trying to get to is aside from being able to, have someone recommend you for that job what yeah. you would do which i would do is you become like a skip tracer or like a detective you know what i'm talking oh, about fully like, fully fucking you go facebook yes you go detective. on facebook and you type in the name of the showrunner yes. and then all of the people that you know yep. that they know will come up like friends you have in common yes and so then you always the first step right and then so you reach out to the people that you know that know that person that Correct. like you and you ask them to recommend you like you're talking and about. And a lot of times you have to even start with, hey, how well do you know this person? Yeah. And they'll say, oh, they're my best friend. Or I've never, I've actually gotten, I've never met that person. <laughs> oh, you're Facebook friends. I don't know how. Yeah. So you can get anything from that range. But usually it's, oh, I did a punch-up room with them once. Yeah. Right. That's it. Exactly. So you first have to then like go on IMDb or Facebook, find out who that showrunner knows, then try and a, like, and a lot of the times you get beaten to the punch. Like when I was trying to get on Indebted, which is Dan Le- what was Dan Levy's Fran Dresser, Adam Pally Multicam, John Zimelis was my Fairfax producer. And I was like, hey, dude, like, you know Dan Levy. You ran at Midnight. You, you co-created at Midnight, whatever the fuck. Can you put me up for that? He's like, oh, dude, I just put, I just put somebody up for that. And I was like, god damn it. So like a lot of the times you'll find that the person that you were going to use to get to Showrunner X has already wasted his card or like the one – shot that they have yes. or the one name to whatever other other than that what i started doing which i got one interview with emily kapnick for example emily kapnick created a show separated together which were a, which was about a couple that was getting divorced but still living together oh, my yes. parents 
got divorced and then continued Jer. living together. Yeah, Jer and Steph, shout out. Uh, and then continued living together. And so I wrote her an email. She, I found out she was at UTA. And I, I'm telling you. Who's she you, with at UTA? I honestly don't know. Okay. I think Larry Sauls, actually. Okay. I could be, <laughs> I could be wrong. Um, but I'm telling you this story so that the people listening that want to be no, writers know. know that you have to be this fucking sociopathic. Yeah. I asked my agents, I said, hey, if I write Emily Kapnick an email, will you forward it to her agents and see if maybe that agent will forward it to her? And I, you know, I wrote this thing of like, my parents are going through this. I really loved your script. Weeks and weeks and weeks went by. This is when it was just like on a grid of like shows that might get picked up. Mm -hmm. Like two months later, my agents called me and they're like, Emily Kapnick will meet with you. And I was like, oh my fucking God. And so, so much of this is really just like shooting your shot, being proactive, being a hustler, being somewhat of a stalker, going on IMDb, going on Facebook, finding out like, okay, which of my friends that have been in a room with myself will then email that person? Like, even if it's two people removed almost sometimes. I know that's riskier, but like. Well, so I, what I've pivoted to doing, and again, it's hilarious to me, and we talked a little bit about this off mic, but that that you keep insisting on, on insisting on wanting to be staffed. Yes, I do, I love I <laughs> in love a world it. where staffing is broken and it has broken down, and they're staffing the same thirty people over and over and over again. To and as someone who has run their own show and been in control of a staff, the fact that you want are so desperate to get back into the fucking staffing mix. It's psychotic to me. But I love I here okay, I'll tell you why. <laughs> because my agents think the same thing. Yes. Um, my friends that are writers are like, what is wrong with you? And the truth is, I it, it, it was the most fun I've ever had in my life. It was like being in a writer's room. Like it's like sleepaway camp, except you go home on most nights. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, you go home at four AM, which is fine. I mean, I, we're getting paid. Yeah, I don't care. Yeah. I, I was so happy just to have my first staff job. I was like, Oh no, I don't fucking be here. Well, that's forever. honestly why we bonded. For truly, truly, as you are a studio guy and I was studio girl, I had already worked for the worst people in the world. <laughs> I had already worked at studios and you haven't seen bad, horrible things until you've worked at a studio in development, in my opinion. And um I just saw terrible things yeah paramount in 2009 to 2011 was like psychotic psychotic no and like we both had had that experience so then by the time you're in a room you're like these are my people and there's free starburst there's free starburst there's coffee sometimes like and someone brings you lunch you yeah. literally get a menu every morning <laughs> on your desk it's like hey matt what would you like from mendocino yeah. farms and everyone's like freaking the fuck out and everyone's like oh my god daddy was mean to me like the showrunner just like yo no one threw a phone at me today so i'm cool yeah. <laughs> like yeah and that's why we bonded is like no writing is the best job in the world and being a writer on a TV show is the best job in the world. And if you don't think so, and you're going to bitch about it, then get out. Yeah, because I want your spot. Yeah, because a lot of other people who are going to have a way better fucking attitude and can probably do the job better than you should be here then. If you, are, if you can't work past nine, go home. Yeah. Someone else will. And I get you've got to have like a work-life balance or whatever, but we're getting paid a fuck ton of money to make TV. Yeah. Like, do it. Okay, so wait. So back up. So, so yeah. I, yeah, so, I was just saying, if you don't want to be a TV writer, like, don't be a TV writer. <laughs> like, it's, if you're going to bitch about it, I don't want to be in a room with you. But there's so many shows that I love where I'm like, oh, it must be, like, I would kill someone to get to work on um, Dave, for example. Okay. Love Dave. Or... I'm not a drama writer and I am not smart enough, but like succession. I don't, that's a bad example because I don't think it's like a fun room per se, but like Abbott elementary, I had a phone call with Justin and Patrick because they 
have Harley Quinn at Warner Brothers Animation. I was on Harley Quinn. I know you are. And I was doing uh, some negotiating with Warner Brothers Animation. Yes. And I was trying to get some exposure yes. to some of their deal points or their difficulties or challenges in, in negotiating. And they were incredibly helpful to me. Um, yeah, shout out Justin Pat. Uh, Justin is uh, one of the most brilliant people I have seen at this business um, in my 15 years, uh, 20 years of doing it, but 15 years in TV. Justin is is right up there in terms of just a brilliant way of looking at this as a business. And then Pat keeps it all together. So, But, like, but that's my point. Like working on Harley Quinn or Abbott Elementary or Ghosted or Ghost, whatever the fuck it's called. <laughs> I would love – Ghosted was on Fox. Yes, it sure was. Craig Robinson. I had a staffing and, interview uh, on that. Uh, the guy that everyone likes. From Party Down, right? Was Adam it? Scott? Yeah. He interviewed, he was in the interview. He interviewed me for that. And he, uh, he was like, you Matt, I really liked your script. And then he quoted me a joke, and I was like, <gasps> UTA sent you the wrong script. <laughs> you he read, still liked You read it. my fucking three-year-old sample. You know what's crazy? He's talking about samples. I still get meetings off of the sample I wrote as a writer's assistant. I don't get any meetings. General, generals. Oh yeah, generals. Yeah. yeah, I got generals coming out of my urethra. Yeah, no, showrunner no. meetings. No, but like I, no, no, but dude, like you don't. I had one showrunner meeting and I got it because I, I know how to have meetings now. But like, it's like they don't come around. Let's talk about that. When you okay. said I know how to do it now, yeah. Take me through, and for everyone out there, like we we've ta- we've we've talked about showrunner meetings a little bit in that. You usually have like 15 to 30 minutes to A, sell your ability to write and be a great collaborator, but also not be annoying as fuck because you're going to be in a room with someone for 14 hours a day. So you tell me now, what are your tips for showrunner meetings? And, and what is like, you you seem to have cracked the case wide open on how to approach them. Please tell me because I have, and again, I don't know how much I want to share, to be please, honest. <laughs> please, please, please. Um, well, it, number one, it, it changes as you rise up the ranks. The meeting that you need to have as a staff writer is different than the meeting you need to have as a co-EP to get the job, right? Yes, it is. Yeah. Okay. Um, and uh, so let's start there. I don't know if listeners know what a showrunner meeting is, but... I, to- I, 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 to- I, t- I touched on it in an earlier episode. When you apply for a staffing job... When your agent submits you, the showrunner of the show will basically, like, let's say they get to have, like, 12 people on a network half hour, they will... Pull it, they'll hire five of their friends. So that gets you down to seven new people that they need to hire. They'll promote a writer's assistant. So that gets you down to six new people, right? Probably they hire probably they hire more than five of their friends. So let's say they have five slots that they have people for. They're going to have two men, two women. Like it's they have, quote, unquote, people that they want. And then they hire two or three writers per each slot. That was what I didn't know. Once you get to a showrunner meeting, it's your job to lose. It's between you and two other people. That's what was shocking to me. I was like, oh, so I'm either here to lose this job or get it right now. And they want, I've heard showrunners say, like, we want you to be good. All we want is for you to be good in this meeting. Like, and um, so anyway, so um, as a staff writer, my first uh, showrunner meeting ever uh, was with someone I knew before. And I knew I had to have the meeting of my life. Um, and I was nervous as fuck. I didn't know what to wear. I mean, I was a mess. And But I knew I had to have the, me- the meeting of my life. I read the script probably five times. 
I watch probably more than that. Are we talking about Hoagie Bros right now? No, we're talking about a staff. I'm a co-EP. We're talking about my staff writing job at Ground Floor. I like how you just dropped out your level like it was a game. It's a totally different fucking game. So, no, but I knew as a staff writer who is fucking nobody, I was currently literally earning $800 a week as the script coordinator for How I Met Your Mother uh season eight we need to talk about that carter and craig let's talk about carter and craig carter and craig are wonderful and i learned so much from them and i learned a fuck ton from that room because they had the best people working in that room because it was a really good job it was season eight so you knew you had 22 episodes there was a lot of money running around they had courtney kang who literally is how i model myself every day when i run a room uh chuck tatham is one of the funniest people ever Stephen lloyd is one of the funniest people ever just like these are top of their game and so I got to be a writer assistant and I got to watch this and I learned so much in that year and that was one thing I always it's one thing I always tell people is you can get paid for a job in a lot of different ways when I was a writer assistant I sure the fuck wasn't getting paid in money I was getting paid $800 I asked for a raise to 825 and the line producer screamed at me because she hates women and then she uh, she hates she women? hates women um, the three meanest people I've ever had in my entire career, all women. Um, anyway, okay, so I wasn't getting paid in money, but I was getting paid in experience yeah. because I was watching these people do their job at the highest level every day. I was watching them make 22 episodes of television. Actually, we did 25 that season. And I was watching them do it at a very high level. And also, I was getting paid in connections. That was the first I was a writer assistant. I had been on one show previously. It was fucking two and out. We shot eight, and um, it was at How I Met Your Mother that one of the writers said, I want to read your script. And that's how I was able to get an agent, was I had a critical mass from there. So I was getting paid in who I knew and experience. So that's another way I always encourage people is, like, especially people who are up and coming. I'm like, if you don't ask people for help, why the fuck are you doing it? Because you're certainly not getting paid in money. So, like, get paid in help. Get paid in connections, you know? Get paid somehow. Wait, I I, <clears throat> I want you to take me back though to crushing a showrunner meeting. Oh yeah, that was, yeah, yeah, that was yeah, critical. No, for sure. I yeah, don't no, want no, you to no, not no, for talk sure. So crushing a showrunner meeting. So uh, the first showrunner meeting I ever had was on uh, Ground Floor, which was a very good show on TBS that I uh, adored working for. Uh, I was a going. I was a writer's assistant. I had no staffing credits whatsoever. Um, I was walking into a meeting where I knew that the person didn't want to hire me. Um, he was not looking to hire a writer assistant. He did not want to promote someone. And I went in. It was a show about upstairs, downstairs, people who are rich on the top floor, uh, money people. And then he, uh, one of the money people falls in love with a girl that works in the basement who works minimum wage job. And I knew going into that sh- meeting that the people, especially the showrunner, had ne- hadn't, hadn't made minimum wage in quite some time, <laughs> 30 years maybe. So I came in with every story possible about being young and in your late 20s and not having any money and I told him about how I one weekend bounced my checking account 30 times uh, my birthday weekend I told him about how I once donated blood so that I could go to a basketball game because we got free Clippers tickets so I had to donate blood because I couldn't afford Clippers tickets Um, I, I just had like I had all these stories fucking lined up because I I didn't say, hey, what happened if Brody and Jenny donated blood to go to a basketball game? No, I said, this happened to me. And then he could say, oh, oh, Brody could donate, or Jenny could donate blood to go to a basketball game. You're like, yeah. So then it's his idea. 
and you're not the weirdo who comes in and starts pitching ideas that they might not like because no showrunner wants to admit that an idea isn't his. So you have to always pitch it in a way that's very non-confrontational, very what if this happens. So I just started pitching real-life stuff that happened to me, and he saw me as a font of ideas for half of the cast. And I got the job. What was that call like when they told you you got the job? Uh, I was knew exactly where I was. I had uh, was driving on Olympic. I had just passed um, Beverly. I was going east on Olympic, and uh, my agent at the time called me and said, you've got it. And I said, can they take it back? Can they take it back? And he said, no, they can't take it back. You have the offer. And I just was in, I was so excited. I mean, the two weeks previous were like the fucking darkest two weeks of my entire life. There's nothing quite stressful as like finding out if you're going to be making um, $800 for the next year or you're going to be making $1,500 for the next year a week because I, I was a paper team. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, it was uh, – It I remember it. I called Courtney Kang first, and I called my parents second. That's amazing. Yep, and then I went to Bar Trivia. <laughs> <laughs> You've talked to a lot. I've listened to all your podcast episodes, and you talk about, like, oh, getting your manager and your agent, right? Getting mm-hmm. your manager and your agent, getting your manager and agent. Well, the manager and agent that I had when I was 20 – no, 30, 31 in 2013 are not necessarily the manager and agents that serve you later in your career, right? So I knew I had c- I'd parted ways with ICM in 2016, went to UTA. Uh, Shout out Tim Phillips. Yeah, and Josh Hornstock. And um, I had had a manager that had found me, actually, very proactively. He had dug through pi- at, at UTA. He had had, man- he had, had agents at... UTA, any scripts that he that they liked, they sent to him because he was looking for new clients. Anyway, so I signed with him as literally an assistant. I was an assistant when I got both my first manager and my first agent. So anyway, I decided to part ways with him. And my agent said, this is 2021. I was literally a supervising producer on a network television show. And they said, it's going to be hard for you to get a top eight, um, top manager because it's so hard right now. Because when we all fired our agents, a lot of people went to managers. Yeah. So, and I knew I wanted someone young. I knew I wanted a female on my team. And I knew I wanted it at a top place. And they said, that's going to be really hard for you. And so they, I said, so what do I have to do? And they said, you have to write something new. So I sat down and I wrote. And that's the hardest thing about writing is that you literally have to write the best thing you've ever written. All the time. Every single time you have to sit down and write the best thing you've ever written. When I was t- in 2011, when I was an assistant, and Nate Rieger, the co-EP of How to Be a Gentleman, said, Laura, you killed it this year as an assistant. I want to read your script. I said, thank you, Nate. That's amazing. I'll get that right to you. I didn't have a script. I had written samples. I had written a fucking spec Grey's Anatomy. That was I would written a great spec 30 rock. That's actually still very good. But um, I sat down, and I wrote the best script I've I, I had to write the script that would get me an agent. And I did. And, like, literally it was so hard. Like, my boyfriend at the time was like, I'm going to tie you to a chair. Like, I didn't have any sort of writing muscle. I didn't know how to sit down and write. I didn't know how to, like, fucking summon the muse. I didn't know how to flow state. I didn't know anything. I just fucking had to sit down and write. I knew I could do it, but it was just – I didn't have the discipline yet. Um, so, anyway, that happened to me again last year. My agent said, you need, to, you need a new sample. You need to write the best thing you've ever written, basically, is what they're saying. And so I did. And it took me 
five months. I'm not a fast writer at all. But I knew that to get this top manager that I wanted, I would need a new sample. So I did it. And then we vary in a very, very targeted manner. And that's the other thing that I wanted to touch on is like everything I do is so tactical. I find a lot of people like when they give advice, they're like, I don't know, it just kind of happened. And I don't know if that's a fucking white man thing, but nothing that happened to me happened to me. I got it. Every single thing, there is no luck involved here. There is zero luck. This is all me saying, I want that. How do I get it? Okay, here are the steps. And then I take them. Same. And like, but I am a white man, so there is some luck. So okay, yeah. (laughs) No, but like anyone who's just like, I don't know, it just kind of happened. I just kind of ended up on a staff. That's fucking insane. Yeah, I don't know if they don't. I don't. I don't care, but it's just not my experience. And so everything I've wanted, or everything I've gotten, I've wanted, and I've stood taken like year. I had a fucking year long plan to get an agent because Zach Rosenblatt sat down with me. And he said, this is how we're going to get you an agent. And it's a fucking year-long plan. And, like, it worked. But it took a year. And so, anyway, I had a six-month plan to get a new agent. And this is as a fucking upper level. (laughs) I started to get a new manager. And I did. And I met with the top places. And I had it all shake out. And it's so funny. I sat down with who ended up becoming my manager. And I had a fuck. I had two pages of questions. And she said, no one ever asks us questions because I think like we're all so scared of our reps, which I get happens to me all the time. I'm terrified of UT. I'm not going to lie. And like, but like we have to ask these people, like I, this is how I see myself. This is where I want to be. How do you help get me there? And so anyway, I told her, I was like, I should be running a show. And she said, and I was like, so how do I know how I think I could be able to do it? How can you help me do that? And she says, we're going to, I'm going to put you in positions of power where you're the adult in the room. I'm going to pair you with people who are not experienced, who need someone who has 175 episodes of network television under their belt, which I do. And you're going to be the supervisor and we're going to put you in places where you succeed. And that's what we did. And Can it's I like, please work on your show? <laughs> on your staff. I love that you're literally just doing this podcast so you can get fucking staffed on a show, <laughs> which is like, I never, ever want to go on another staffing meeting in my life. I'm so done with asking white men to ask their white men friends to please hire me. Like, I, I can't. I can't with this anymore. Like, it's just, it's, I should be in charge at this point. I listen. I want. <laughs> I want to be in charge too. It I, just takes so fucking long. It takes a long time, but like, like the just, de- the development just moves at a glacial dude, pace. Dude, I spent eight months developing something that didn't go last last it took, year. It took two years just to get a a series order. We got a two series order, but it took two and a half years to get a two series two season order on Fairfax. It took fucking a year to we pitched this thing. Girl dads got CBS studios attached negotiated with cbs for however many months and then it didn't sell it's just like poof and so like yeah that's what i want i want to run my own shows because i can fucking do it but it's like i'm gonna go broke while i'm trying to do that well yeah i mean there's as i always say there's a reason i don't have a house because (laughs) i'll give my cpa a heart attack if my my year-to-year salary is like insane like it's 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 literally plus or minus six figures yeah (laughs) like it's it's insane and and like you just have to be able to buckle up and handle that because that's the way of the business. And at some point, hopefully in two, three, four years, can I count on having a base income? I hope so. Me too. I would like that. That's why I hope this writer's strike. I don't know if it happens, but like if it does happen, I want it to explode the entire system. Yeah, I'm I over mean, it. Yeah, it's it's 
again, crazy, broken. I met, I was at a birthday party the other day. I met a supervising producer who had been on 35 episodes of television. So, like, what? <laughs> How does that work? Like, it's so clearly broken. Um, my answer for me is work harder. I just work harder. That's the other thing about staff meetings. You want to talk about that? There's no one that walks into a meeting more prepared than me. Not one person. By the way, I think that's so important you said that because Laura walked into this podcast with a fucking <laughs> stack of notes. I have a and stack I was like, of you know, notes. I, was I prepared like, for multiple days for this. I listened to every podcast. I wrote down what I wanted to communicate. Like, you, there will not be a person that walks into that meeting that knows more about the script than I do or about that person's career or about what shows they came from. It just won't happen. Like, Billy Ray has a great quote that is, I'm not talented enough to, do, to be unprepared. It is where, and he's insanely talented. If you've never seen the WGA, Billy Ray tells you how to pitch something video, watch it. It's brilliant. But, like, that's how I control my nerves, and that's how I control my fear when I work, walk into a meeting, is I have controlled everything I can control, which is I walk in unprepared. I mean, I walk in fully prepared. Because I've also met people who are like, oh, yeah, I don't even read the script before I walk in. I literally walked into my Dangerous Book for Boys meeting. That was when I was a... Uh, I forgot you worked on that. I was a ESE on that. And I needed a job. I had not worked. I had not been on a staff. I had not earned a paycheck in 15 months. I desperately needed... It took out my relationship. Like, I desperately needed a job. And I walked into that meeting. And uh, Michael Globerman, who became my boss, said, did you get a chance to read the script? And I said, I read it three times. And I walked to the bookstore. I bought the book it's based on and read it twice. And he said, but you got the meeting yesterday. And I said, I know. That's the type of work I will bring to the show. Nice. I got, no, but that's like, that's, I. I agree with I'm you. I'm not, I'm not pretty. <laughs> I'm not like. I disagree. I, I'm not I like, would, but I'm not oh, like a gorgeous. <laughs> but I'm not like I'm not the person that I have horrible credits. My credits are not like I I didn't work on New Girl. I didn't work on Barry. My as literally as my agents have told me, my credits are not sexy, and so I have to do everything else I possibly can to show what an asset I am to a staff. And when I got on the neighborhood, which was the dream come true of a job, I asked my boss. I said, "What?" My boss who ended up hiring me. I said. What did you see? What did you think of when you saw my credits? Like, why did you still meet me after that? And he said, I didn't look at your credits. I read your script. And so that's when I get jobs, is when people are just going by script and then meetings, that's when I get jobs, because I don't have sexy credits. And if I don't show up prepared, they're going to hire the girl that wrote on New Girl. They're going to hire the girl that wrote on Silicon Valley. They're not going to hire the girl that wrote on Undateable. They don't give a fuck. What the fuck was Undateable? <laughs> and, like, so I have to... Do the I have to be as prepared as possible, dude. I you're you're speaking my language so hard because I I completely agree with you and that nobody will work harder than me. And and honestly, like as much as I did this podcast because it was fun and I want to educate people, it was another way for me to expand my circle and network and build my brand or whatever the fuck that yeah, is. Of course. And continue this journey of writerdom. Like this, I know this is like fun and people come over, but like the amount of work that goes into putting these fucking things on Spotify. It, <laughs> I saw you in the editing bag. <laughs> the juice is is worth the squeeze, but it's a lot of squeezing. And um, yeah, no one's doing this for their health. Oh, dude, I was so <laughs> naive when I started this. I was like, yeah, I'll just go to fucking Guitar Center and I'll buy these microphones and I'll buy all this equipment. 
And then I I turned in the first four episodes to my producer, and he's like, hey, dipshit, the whole thing is fucking echoed. And that's why there's this giant curtain here now <laughs> and these soundproof things. Um, oh, I thought that was just really bad art. Really? Yeah. Oh, my God, no. It's <laughs> soundproofing. Um, but uh, if I leave you with anything, Laura, I, I want to, A, um, say thank you because you were incredibly nice to me as a young staff writer. And I was, You're such I was a being, mess. No, I'm not. I'm not. I, oh, oh, I you was. You were a mess. <laughs> But I, I really do uh, appreciate you and find you to be wonderfully smart and talented and uh, incredibly hardworking. And at the end of the day, like, I still go by that Conan O'Brien quote of, like, if you are a nice person and you work hard, amazing things will happen. Yeah, and that's the, the – I was actually just texting one of my mentees this yesterday, and I, w- I truly believe that if you are talented and you work harder than everyone – and you network, you will succeed. You will, it will work out for you as a writer. It, it will happen if you do the right things. All the people that I know that are immensely talented that didn't succeed, it's because they wouldn't do something. They wouldn't get coffee 10 years ago. They won't go to coffees with people. They won't network. They like to stay in their house. Like, If you do the right things, it will work. You just have to do them, and it sucks. And no one tells you what the right things are, so you have to, like, learn the hard way a whole bunch. But, like, it will happen. You just have to do it, and you have to get over yourself in a major way all the time. You heard it here first. Get over yourself <laughs> and work hard. This has been Matt Housefitter and Laura Morant. How do you pronounce your last name? What the fuck? How do you pronounce your I last name? I we've been friends for, like, eight years, and you're I, like, how I do you say pronounce Morant. I say Morant. That's Moran. it. How the fuck do you Because you tonight, it? for some reason, I thought I was saying Morin. It's Brett Morin. It's Laura That's Moran. Why. Okay. He has an I in his name. I okay. don't. Okay. So Laura Moran. Yeah. Laura Moran. Or just Laura Moran. Laura Moran. Yeah. Just easily like that. I uh, Matt, Matt Horse. <laughs> I so appreciate you doing this. Thank you, Laura. We didn't even get to half of my notes. That's okay. You can come back. You can come back. Part two. Yeah. Will you come back? Sure. Was this enjoyable? Yes, of course. Was the dinner my wife cooked for you? I knew that Chow would pull out the stops even though i said please don't pull any out any stops and and it was delightful thank you laura yeah.